Would you guys pray with me before we get started? Father in heaven, we love you. And we're so grateful for the songs we just sang and the words that were in them and the meaning behind them. And tonight, Lord, I just it struck me in that last song to behold you, to turn our gaze upon you, to stare at you, to keep focused on you, to keep our eyes fixed on you. So that's my prayer for the next little bit, Lord. Nobody hears my voice tonight. They just hear from you. The words you've given me, Lord, I pray that they're a help. They meet us where we need it and speak to us as we need spoken to. But I pray for myself and everyone in this room, in this church tonight, Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you and behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a seat, everybody. Well, welcome to Inside Out. It's nice to see you guys. I think I've met everybody in the room. My name is Dan. If I've not met you, um, glad you're here tonight. Glad you joined in. We're going to continue on with this idea of worshiping more in 24, okay? Last week, we talked about Ephesians chapter 4. I think it's verses 17 through 32, somewhere in there, about how our walk should have worship in it. So we, as we walk, we worship. This week, God laid something else on my heart that I want to share with you guys tonight. This may be something it's like by the time we're done tonight, you're like, well, duh, Dan, I already know that. This could be something that might be a message for you that you're like, yeah, I knew all that already. Or this may be something that might help you tonight to understand what worship really is all about according to Jesus, what a true worshiper is. So tonight, I've titled the message, True Worship is a Matter of Your Heart. It's not a matter of our location, our behavior. It's a matter of your heart. So as we just sang those songs, that's where I think to myself sometimes. I think, well, this message that God laid on my heart tonight may be a reminder and maybe a confirmation for you that how you're worshiping already is exactly how the Lord would have you worship as well. So what I want to do is I want to jump into this tonight. We're going to go to John chapter 4 is where we're going to end up at, okay? But I want to give you guys a little bit of background first. I've got a few notes tonight in case I need them so I can keep track of it. John chapter 4 has got so much in it. You could literally start at John chapter 4 and probably do a six-week study. But I want to give you guys a little bit of context before we jump into the middle of the chapter where I want to be, where we'll focus on chapter 4, verses 20 through 24 is where we'll draw our focus into. But I want to give you guys a little background. So in John chapter 4, what's happening is Jesus, it says, he needed to go through Samaria, Okay, Samaria, you guys heard a good Samaritan story, right? In the book of Luke, the good Samaritan going down the road helps the Jewish guy out, right? The Samaritans, I'll give you guys a little bit of background and then we'll kind of move through this a little bit. The Samaritans are an unusual bunch in scripture, okay? Probably about 722 BC, so before Christ was born, I'm gonna give you guys a little bit of history because it's really important with the context of what we're talking about. So about 722 BC, the Assyrians moved into the northern kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel had split, Judah was the southern kingdom, and the rest of them, the other tribes were up in the northern kingdom, okay? <clears throat> and in the northern kingdom, what happened was they were attacked by the Assyrians from the north coming south into the northern kingdom of Israel. What happens is the Syrians were horribly bad people. I mean, they were terrible. Remember the Ninevites that we talked about in the book of Jonah? The Assyrians were just rotten people to the core. But what they would do is they would do something unusual. When they would move into an area, they would take the people that lived there and they would move them out of that area. 
This is really key for what we're talking about with the Samaritans tonight. So they would come into an area, the Assyrians, they took over the northern kingdom of Israel, and rather than just conquering them and taking everyone as slaves, they would take a large portion of their people and displace them to somewhere else. And then they would take a large portion of another, pers- another people group that were displaced and put them in the northern kingdom of Israel. So in other words, what you get is you get a bunch of people who are intermarrying, Okay, so the, the Jews and the Samaritans, we talked about this before in youth group, have ha- they had a strong racial divide. They hated each other. The Jews looked at the Samaritans like they were just half-breeds. That's the best way to put it, like they were not real Jews because they were intermarrying like they shouldn't do, okay? So it says that Jesus had to go to Samaria, go through Samaria, it says. So here's what, it, here's what the deal is. If you can look at a map, if you can look at a map, here's Jerusalem, Okay, the Jordan River runs along this way. Here's Jerusalem here in the mountains. And up north, not too far, up here is a place called Mount Gerizim. This is where the, the, the Samaritans would go. Now watch, I'm gonna draw this out for you, okay? What the Israelites would do is they would never go through Samaria. They would either cross the Jordan and go what the road was called, the King's Way, and they would go all the way around Samaria to come up to Galilee up here at the top. Or they would go this way, they would lose, leave Jerusalem and go all the way around here to go by this, the, the way of the sea, they called it, by the Mediterranean Sea, and they would come up to Galilee. No Jews ever went through Samaria. Here's how bad it was. <clears throat> In the Jewish tradition, if you touched a utensil of a Samaritan, you were considered unclean. That's how bad it was. So in John chapter four, you see Jesus, the books John says, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. So Jesus takes it, now be a disciple for a second. You're with the Lord, you're with Jesus. And he goes, we're not gonna go the way of the king, we're not gonna go the way of the sea, we're gonna go straight north and we're gonna go through Samaria. His, His disciples had to be like, Think about his disciples. Jesus touches a leper. He touches a dead person. He goes through Samaria. There's a lot of times the disciples had to be like, what are you doing? But even though they didn't understand, hear me, even though they didn't understand everything, they were still faithful to what the Lord commanded them to do. You picking up what I'm laying down? We gotta ask ourselves sometimes. When we don't understand what the Lord's doing, and a lot of times in our lives we don't, and this is gonna be an important part later on in the message, we still do what Jesus tells us to do. What God commands me to do, I do, because I know him, okay? So, Jesus goes down, they go for a long walk, or I should say they go up to, um, they come to a, a city, a little town called Sakar. So Sakar, and Sakar, there's a well there, and that well was Jacob dug the well from the Old Testament Jacob, and he gave it to his son Joseph. So Jesus comes along, and he's human, Fully man, fully God. Well, he's tired. <clears throat> so he gets to the well. He tells his disciples, you guys go into town to get something to eat. I'm gonna wait here by the well. Waiting there by the well, he runs into a Samaritan woman. A lot of you guys know this part of the story. The Samaritan woman shows up at what time? Does anybody remember? Noon. Now think about it. In the heat of the day, you're not gonna go to the well to get water normally. But this Samaritan woman by herself did. Ladies, have you ever felt like an outcast? Have you ever felt like you don't fit in and the things that you gotta do have gotta be away from other people, otherwise they're gonna be critical of you, they're gonna critique the way you live, they're gonna pick on you, they're gonna be mean to you. So this lady, one lady goes to the well at noon because normally they would go in the morning or they would go in the evening to get water. Well, this lady goes at noon and guess who she runs into? Jesus. Jesus is a Jew, obviously a man, and Jewish men never 
talked to Samaritan women, ever. For Jesus to do what he is doing here, it said, remember now, it said Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Why? To meet this woman and to talk about what we're gonna talk about tonight. So he goes to this woman, he's sitting by the well, he's tired, this woman shows up, and he says, would you get me a drink of water? And she goes on to say, you don't have a rope, you don't have a bucket, how are you gonna get a drink of water? Because the well's deep. Jesus said, if you knew the kind of water I offered you, living water, you would listen to me. This living water that I, this is such a critical thing. I wanna wanna read this because this caught my attention. This is completely beside the point. In verse 13, Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give you will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling stream, spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, somebody come up and said, this water will give you eternal life. You would wanna know, where do I get this water that would give me eternal life? But she missed it. Because what she goes on to say is, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never have to be thirsty again and I won't have to come back here to get water. She missed the whole eternal life part of it. How many times do we sit in church or youth group on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning and miss the whole thing? She completely missed the fact that this Jewish prophet that she knows in a minute will be a prophet offered her water that provides her eternal life and the only thing she cared about was give me some of that living water so I don't have to come back here and get more water again. Tonight, listen to me. I'm gonna do my best to take something that is so hard for me to explain. Please don't miss this tonight. I don't want you to show up to youth group and not get anything. That's why I pray that God would give us ears to hear. Give my voice some sort of use to your ears that what I say lands on you, not my voice, but the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So anyway, this woman sits there and she says, man, if you'd give me that living water, I wouldn't have to come back here anymore. That would be amazing. Eternal life is what's offered from our Savior. So Jesus shifts the conversation and he goes, well, go back and tell your husband. He says, go back and get your husband. And she says, I do not have a husband. Jesus says, you're right in saying that you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And now the man you're living with isn't even your husband. This woman has never met this man before. So she goes on to say, I see that you're a prophet. Now watch, here's where the conversation shifts again. So they're talking about water, then Jesus takes a conversation that's very general. You ever had this happen in your day? And all of a sudden the Lord wants to talk to you about what you're going through. And we're gonna, you're gonna become the topic and that's what he did with this woman. Talking about water, now we're talking about all the husbands she's had. That's why she had to go to the well at noon because she would have been considered an immoral woman. Five husbands living with the man that she's, she's not even married with the man she's living with now. So she figures out that this guy she's talking to is some sort of a prophet. And that's where we're gonna jump into the scripture. So if you look at um, verse 19, John chapter four, verse 19, I'll read a few verses and then I'll break this down for you, okay? So that's the context of what we're looking at. And also, let me give you a little bit more about Samaria because this is kind of cool before we dig into this. <clears throat> the Samaritans being half-breeds, about 722, came down, attacked by the Assyrians, taken captive, switched up, all that went on. About 436 BC, somewhere in there, the Israelites that were in captivity in Babylon got released to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So the Samaritans come down from up north, come to Nehemiah and Ezra and said, hey, we wanna help you guys rebuild the temple after they've been taken out of, they've been in captivity for 70 years, the Israelites, they come home, the Samaritans come down and say, hey, we wanna help rebuild your temple. Nehemiah and Ezra and the Israelites are no 
get out of here. You're, this is God's temple. We're not gonna let you half-breeds come in here and mess this up. So the T Samaritans were offended, so they go back to the north. Mount Zion is where the temple's located in Jerusalem. These are important things. Mount Zion's a temple. Mount Gerizim, back up north in the Samaritan territory, they built their own temple. History shows it was almost identical to the temple in Jerusalem. This is key, okay? So you've got two different locations where people are told to worship. The Samaritans also only, they only accepted, if I can put it that way, the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. The rest of the Old Testament scriptures they did not receive as truth. And even, even then, they twisted some of the Old Testament, the, the Torah or the Pentateuch, however you want to say it, they even took and twisted some of those up. So this is critical. You got a false temple in Mount Gerizim, the temple that's rebuilt in Jerusalem. Samaritans only believed the first five books of the Bible. They didn't receive any of the other Old Testament writings. So this is critical because Jesus is gonna get into that, this in just a second. So that's the foundation of what we're talking about. Now jump into the scripture for a second. The lady says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, you think? So she says, now she shifts the conversation. Water, talking about all her life, and then she wants to change the subject. You ever had a conversation with the Lord? You're like, I want to change the subject. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Well, this woman changes the subject, but Jesus doesn't take the bait. Watch what she says. Sir, the woman said, I, I, you must be a prophet. So tell me, she says, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship? Where would the Jerusalem people, the Israelites, where would they have worshiped? In those days, at the temple. Remember when Jonah was running from the Lord and he went to, to where is it, Tarshish? And he gets on a boat, or no, he went, he went to Joppa, got on a boat, went to Tarshish. He was running from the Lord. You can't run from God, can you? We all know that, but the reason why he was running from the Lord is because in those days, the Lord would have been at the temple in Jerusalem. So for her to say, why do you Jews believe that the only place to worship is at your temple in Jerusalem? So she asked that question. While the Samaritans claim that Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped, is the place to go. So she says, is your church better or my church better? I don't like to worship at your church, I like to worship at my church. She wanted to turn this into the location of worship. Geographically, she wanted to talk about location. Jesus doesn't want to talk about that. He wants to talk about not the location, but the temperament and the condition of your heart. <clears throat> so it goes on to say, where our ancestors worship, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain Mount Gerizim in that temple, or Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Pause. Why do they know very little about the one they worship? Because they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. So they didn't know who they worshiped. They just knew the God of the Bible right there, and that was it. So they didn't understand God like the Jews do. And you'll see Jesus touch on that in just a second. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While the Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Why did he say that? Because salvation would have come through the lineage of King David, who was a Jew. So all the way through the Old Testament, you see the Messiah was going to come from the Jewish line through King David. We all know that if you read Matthew 1, right? So we know that. So he says salvation comes to the Jews, but the time is coming. He's still talking to this woman. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers, 
will worship the Father in the spirit and in, tr- in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And this lady goes on to say, then the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Side note, I learned this as I was studying, and you guys, this, this is just for free. It really doesn't matter that much. When you read the Bible, think about these things. The Samaritans only believed the five first five books of the Bible. How did they know about the Messiah? How would she have known that the Messiah was yet to come, and when he gets here, he will tell her everything? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it talks about a prophet, that one that will come that will be like the Messiah, that will be the Messiah. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, that's where she knows because they, had those, they read those books. So just as a side note, if you're, if you're digging deep enough into scripture and you wonder, well, how is it that this woman would believe in the Messiah when they didn't have the rest of the Old Testament? That's why, because in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it talked about that, okay? So let's dig into this. Let's look at, if we're gonna look at what a true worshiper is, so I don't know about you guys, everybody look at me, do you wanna be known as a false worshiper to God? Duh. Right? That's a very dumb question, Dan. I know it is. But you gotta do a compare and contrast. If you wanna be a true worshiper of the Lord, I believe what we're gonna talk about tonight will give you that idea of what it looks like to truly worship God, okay? We're gonna buzz through this fairly quick. We won't take a whole lot of time doing it, but we're gonna go through it fairly quick. Number one, the aim of a true worshiper, verse 23, gives us this. God is the Father. God the Father is the aim of a person's true worship. When you worship, when we sang those songs tonight, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are woven through that. And those are all God. One God, three persons. So we're all worshiping God when we talk about that. That's our main deal. Watch this. This is such a beautiful picture to me because I love dogs. It says, I got in my notes, it says, another definition is to kiss the hand in a token of reverence by also kneeling or prostrating yourself, paying homage Really, the picture here is, have you ever had a dog when the master comes home and the dog will lay down and roll over on its back and lick the master's hand? That's the submission that that dog has to its master. That's the submission we're supposed to have to God. So if you ever wonder, I prostrate you, what the condition of your heart should look like, is when you see a dog and you come home and that dog is so happy to see its master, but it submits to his hand. And that dog will roll over and lay on its back and it will lick the master's hand. That's paying homage. You guys, we just sang about what God's done for us. If that's not worthy of paying homage to him who's given everything, I don't know what is, but that's what the aim of a true worshiper is. We must be willing to humble ourselves before God and surrender every part of our lives to his control. I believe this on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. I believe God through worship, if we allow him to, and you've heard me teach this before, will till the ground of my heart to receive the seed that is gonna be shared by the pastor on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. That way, like Matthew talks about when the farmer goes out to sow, to sow seed, the seed that is tossed around here on a Wednesday night through your leaders and everyone else, it lands on good soil. Why? Because we've lifted our voices to the Lord with the right heart, paying homage to him in our hearts. Not our posture, this is what matters. That's a true word. That's the aim of a true worshiper. I believe there's four things that you have to have experienced or experienced to be a true worshiper. One, we must be born again. You cannot worship him and pay homage to him if you're dead in your sins and trespasses. 
You have to be born again. You have to know we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven without being born again. So I think that's number one. Number two, we have to be fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, and all of a sudden I feel this, and I've watched you guys, this is, I've watched you guys in this room do this. All of a sudden, I'm, we're, we're doing worship, and all of a sudden I just feel this need, I just feel this prompting to kneel down and give my life to Christ with that posture. Mind him and do it. I don't care what your neighbor's doing. I don't, because your neighbor, all you guys are gonna spend eternity in heaven, but will you have to be fully surrendered to the Spirit. If the Spirit says, raise your hand and worship to him and surrender, do it. If the Spirit says, stand there with your hands by your side and don't move, do it. If the Spirit says, all of a sudden there's tears rolling down your cheeks and you're just overwhelmed by this, do it. Be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and our thoughts have to be centered on God. Do you guys realize when we worship on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, we're actually, or in my car when I'm driving down the road, I'm actually meditating on the things of God. I'm, there's times when I'm driving, I'll miss a turn because I'm so captivated by what's being played that's caught my heart that I get distracted even driving. That's when I talked to you guys last week about how important it is to make sure if you're moved by music, oh dude, you gotta make sure you're, you're listening to the right stuff. Because if Christian movie music moves you that way, I promise you, secular music will too. I promise you it will. And then you have to be a, make sure that you have a repentant heart. And repentance is such a powerful part of salvation that if we don't get this, we forget. And we doesn't really, you have to be able to have a repentant heart. In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, there is, a, there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance but then there's also a worldly sorrow that leads to death. In other words, one's repentance, one's remorse. One's remorse that I feel bad because I got busted, hello Judas, and one is repentance where I, repentance is this, if I'm going this way, I change my mind and I go toward Christ, I repent, I turn from my sin, and I walk back in fellowship with God. That's what it is to repent. We must worship in truth, which means we must be properly informed. Remember Jesus told the Samaritan lady, you only know a portion of what you worship, but we know all of God. We know everything of God, do you? I'm not asking if you know everything about the Bible, but do you know the one that I pray you read about? You guys have heard me teach this a thousand times. When it comes to the second point, the attitude of a true worshiper has to worship in spirit and truth. We gotta know the God of the Bible, you guys. It's not about knowing what Jesus did all the time. It's about knowing who he is, who God the Father is. What role does he play? What role does the Holy Spirit play in my life as comforter and helper and convictor and reminding me of all the things that Jesus has taught me? We have to know that. So true, an attitude of a true worshiper is this. They worship in spirit. It's the expression that refers to a human heart, not the Holy Spirit. This is my spirit that we're talking about, not the spirit. Not the Holy Spirit, but my spirit. I'm, I'm three parts, physical, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, mind, spirit, and soul. If God doesn't capture my spirit on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or in the middle of a worship experience, it's just an emotional experience. It doesn't matter. True worship must be in spirit, which means I'm engaging my whole heart. In other words, I like the old Indiana Jones movies. I've reached in here, I've taken out my heart, and I said, Lord, it's yours. And why is it yours? Because I know what he's done for me. I know the extent, I know who he is and the extent he went to to redeem me. And that should overwhelm me in truth and spirit. Some of us worship at an emotional level. 
but it will never match spirit. Here's, here's the problem with emotional spirit or emotional worship. Man, it's a high. Oh, I had goosebumps. It was amazing. And God didn't get within a country mile of my heart. But I was emotionally moved, and it was great. But you know how you, know how you can tell if it's an emotional experience for you and not a worship in spirit? is because when you leave, it fades. Because when the high, the emotional high goes away, the worship goes away. If you're worshiping in spirit, it lasts. You worship in spirit going home in your car or on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning, when you get to the parking lot, just because the emotion weared off, worn off, I don't change. No, because like we talked about, why is it so important last week? I worship in spirit and truth so that I can walk in worship. Does that make sense to you guys? You gotta be able to walk in worship. So that's a very important part of worshiping in the spirit. Worship, worshiping in the spirit is also leads us this way. If we worship in spirit, we will worship in truth because our spirit knows who we're worshiping. So real quick, worship in truth because we worship who we know. When he told the woman, you know very little, but we know a lot. Failure, watch this. Failure to authentically worship God. Test me on this because I think I'm right. Failure to authentically worship God in my walk, in music, in prayer, whatever that is, you can always go back to its lack of knowledge in who I'm worshiping. So in other words, if I've walked away from my Bible reading, my daily devotional stuff, and I'm just walking and I think I'm worshiping God, I've stopped for a minute learning about the one who saved me. And it doesn't take, look at it this way. Get up in the, go home tonight, don't have a snack. Get up in the morning, don't eat. Go through tomorrow and don't eat anything. Go to the next day and don't eat anything. And don't drink anything. How are you gonna feel? You're gonna get weak, aren't you? And you're gonna start to forget. Your mind doesn't work right. Your body doesn't work right. It's the same thing with our spiritual worship, you guys. If I quit reading and praying and spending time with God and I do that for one day, that's bad. I do it for another day. I get weaker. I get susceptible. I'm vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. I'm not doing anything and I forget who I'm worshiping and who I'm walking with, and then I forget about the truth of God. True worship always has to do with the knowledge of God, and if we feel like we're getting soft, it's because we're failing to study about the one that, we, that, the one that saved us. The attitude of a true worshiper will do this. It will prompt the person to worship well in action also. So if I worship in spirit and truth, knowing my spirit is connecting with God because of the truth of scripture and the truth of what I'm singing about, that should lead me when I leave here on a Wednesday night, watch, when I leave on a Wednesday night, I should walk well to the car, I should walk well when I get home because that spirit and truth, that experience, the worship led to the word which leads to my walk. Worship leads to the word that leads to my walk. If I take worship out, or if I take my word out, I don't walk in worship. You guys picking up what I'm laying down? Spirit and truth, the spirit and truth is worshiping in spirit, connecting with God because of the truth, what we sing. I just talked to Jessica back here. You know how she picks songs on a Sunday morning when she leaves worship? She has a wheel in her office and she spins the wheel and whatever song it lands on, that's what we play. No, that's not what she does. That's a joke, right? Well, she prays and she begs God, reveal to me the songs I'm supposed to play. And Jessica Ehrman is extremely good at playing songs that are strong doctrinally. It's not the sloppy, wet kiss song that we sing on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night because it's not there doctrinally. It doesn't lead me to the truth of the scripture. So it's gonna lead to action. The action of a true worshiper is this. 
They will walk well in their walk, because remember, the mark, the mark of someone who worships in spirit and truth will be, the mark will be an obedient life. You, you guys, you, I gotta quit. You can't, look at me, you can't worship in spirit and truth and read the word and not walk well. It's almost nearly impossible. Yes, you've got a free will and you can choose, but if you guys will do this stuff, your walk will become so steady and it won't wobble like it is at times when you do that. And every time your walk wobbles, I will almost guarantee you worship or word has left the pattern of your life. So a worshiper, their actions are gonna be that way. King David does it this way, and I'll close with this because I don't have time to get through the rest of it. You guys can look at your notes. King David in 2 Samuel... <laughs> Um, let's see, what is that? 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 16. His wife hated this. The Ark of the Covenant was coming back to Israel. Michal, his wife, hated this. She looked down, saw the king, basically in his sweats, we'll put it that way, dancing before the Ark of the Covenant as it came back. Dancing, praising that the Ark, because that's where God dwelled. King David was, he was a man after God's own heart, and you see it, how he expressed it in worship. But you know what else King David did? Watch this. He did this. In 2 Samuel 7, it talks about how King David sat before the Lord. He worshiped, he danced, he was amazed the ark's returning. But King David also had that lifestyle and the worship of just sitting still before the Lord. Posture doesn't matter, location doesn't matter, it's a matter of your heart. I'm gonna touch on this. Should we still go to church because of this? Yes. One of the things that drives me crazy the most when you hear someone say, listen, I don't need to go to church. I go to the mountains to worship God. There's nothing wrong with that, but that can't be your habit. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 say, don't do like most people are doing today and forsake the gathering of the brethren. In other words, don't stop coming to church. Don't stop coming to youth group. This isn't the location where we worship. This gives us an opportunity to worship him here, but I worship him in my car, I worship him at home, I worship him while I'm at Walmart, it doesn't matter. Location's just location. Geographically, it doesn't matter. Jesus says there'll come a day when that mountain won't matter and that mountain won't matter. It'll be a matter of your heart. Do you worship in spirit and truth? Talk amongst yourselves and we'll close here in a few minutes. All right, I know I, I shouldn't interrupt you, but I have to tonight. I've got to interrupt you because we've got to get wrapped up. As always, if you want to hang around and keep talking, you can. Um, but we're going to get this wrapped up. That's just one signed. Um, so here's a question for you, and then we're going to sing a song. A lot of people, here's what's so critical about understanding the truth. There are other religions in the world, and I'm going to name them, and I don't mind naming them, Mormons. They believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. They will tell you Jesus Christ died on the cross but they do not believe that that's the atonement. In other words, that shed blood that Jesus shed, the book of Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Hebrews makes that very clear. We'll talk about that in our study later on. So Mormons will say, well, Jesus died on the cross. I believe that. But they do not, their doctrinal stance isn't that that shed blood is where I find my salvation for my sins. They believe it's through good works and the resurrection. Jehovah Witnesses will tell you Jesus Christ died on the cross. We'll pray together. Well, we believe Jesus died on the cross, absolutely. But do you, know why they, do you know who they believe Jesus is or was? Was Michael the archangel. 
So in other words, those two religions alone, this is why it's so important to understand truth, you guys. We can sing about Jesus on the cross, but if I don't receive that idea of what that represents for me, I do just empty words. So when we look, when Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons look at the cross, they don't see deity. To them, Jesus is not God. When we worship Jesus, we are worshiping God. We just had the discussion at this table over here. People will say Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. And the Pharisees were morons because if they didn't, they were stoning him because a mere man claimed to be God, they said, talking about Jesus. It's so important that when we talk about the Lord, we talk about who the Lord is in the Holy Bible sense of who God is, who Jesus is. That makes sense to you guys? That's why it's so important to worship in spirit and truth. Now, if you would all do me a favor and stand. I picked this song, I love the rhythm of this song and the words in this song. And I want, if you've never had what we've talked about tonight, where your spirit, you open up your heart and your spirit connects with God because of what he's done for you, even if you haven't received that truth yet, the extent in what he goes through to give me an opportunity to be redeemed, you'll find in this song. So when we worship now, when we lift our voices up, I want you guys to sing along. We're gonna worship in spirit because my spirit is gonna open my heart and receive the truth of what we're about to receive and then we'll all leave tonight as true worshipers. I have a question tonight for all of you. Can you make that statement? Do you and have you received with all your heart that his wounds have paid your ransom? That you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus? If you haven't, visit with someone. Let God talk to your heart. Let that become your truth. If you have, because of what's been done and what we've received, may we always worship in spirit and truth, walking by the word and walking in worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. So grateful, Lord, for the truth that you give us through your scripture. And I pray tonight, Lord, that this would land on each one of us in an unusual way. These are the words of our Savior. True worshipers worship in spirit and truth. It's not about the location. It's about the Lord. May the condition of our heart always be pleasing to you. And may that worship and reading your word lead to a walk that by your grace brings you glory. We love you and we're so grateful for the time tonight, the fellowship, and to learn about you. May you go with us as we leave tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys, you are dismissed. Have a great night, everyone.